Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. My name is JJ Jackson. It's so great to have you here with us on this Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening to Locked On Blue Devils and making us your first listen each and every day. Follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson, underscore. On today's show, we discussed last night's Duke basketball game. The Dukies lost a tough one, 79-78 to Florida State in overtime. We discussed all of that with Josh Cox from Duke Football Talk's Section 17 podcast here today on the program. And with that, we now welcome in Josh Cox into the program. Uh, Fresh off, not the greatest night of sleep for either one of us, knowing the end result of that game last night. Uh, We're seeing the world tell us how amazing of a basketball game it was. To its credit, a game that featured 19 lead changes and went all the way to overtime. But when you're the team that comes out on the losing end, Josh, it still doesn't make you feel any better. Yeah, it certainly doesn't. Those uh, those late starts is something we've become accustomed to uh, from the beginning of the season. Um, And we are experiencing what it's like to go on the road in the ACC. It's never easy. And, uh, man, I mean, kudos to that crowd in Tallahassee. I know there was a lot of Duke fans there, but, man, Florida State fans, that student section really showed up. And, and you know, yeah, objectively speaking, as you said, everyone else in the country, that was a great game. It was a great basketball game as far as the, the uh, just watching it. But when you have the fanhood involved, obviously there's great disappointment there. But overall, yeah, just, just a battle, man, a classic road late-night game in Tallahassee battle. We were hoping that Coach K's final trip to the Donald Tucker Center would uh, end with a win. Unfortunately, it didn't as Florida State walked away with a victory. Uh, Duke was able to uh, have a five-point lead at halftime, and then the second half, things got ugly. Let's talk about the first half, though, Josh. I want to spend a good bit of time there. Duke leads at halftime 38-33. Back and forth a little bit in the first half, and then the Blue Devils ended on a 7-0 run. What were your first half takeaways? Yeah, I'll be honest. I was a little surprised to look up at the scoreboard and see us ahead by five. Um, you know, I, I actually I, I had to look um, in the ESPN app to see the stats to see who had really scored for us. Right. It was kind of an odd half. You know, there wasn't like a standout guy. You know, obviously AJ got in foul trouble, and we didn't see much of AJ Griffin um, in that first half, and we missed him. Um, thought it was interesting as well that we saw Bates Jones check into the game before Joey Baker did. Even right. though I'm sure we'll get to Joey here in a second. Um, but it was just an odd half. It was it was different than um, uh, uh, the way that the game was played. So, anyway, for us to be up five at the end of that first half, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, we saw Butler uh, hit those threes in the first half for them. Um, and, and, you know, it, 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 was, it was definitely – <laughs> definitely odd to see us up five, not play well, not have a star, and to see their guys playing as well as they were. I mean, at the end of the day, I was I was great. I'm like, man, if we do this again in the second half and we win by 10 on the road at Florida State, man, I'll be as happy as I could be, you know? Yeah, no, I was uh, – you know, we had the podcast yesterday talking with the Locked On Seminoles guys doing a game preview, and we were mentioning all the talented players uh, that are on this Florida State team this season, Caleb Mills being one of them, their leading scorer who's from my neck of the woods out of Asheville, North Carolina. 
a Houston transfer leading the way for them. Florida State, a team that always has these like six, eight plus guys with amazing wingspans. And John Butler wasn't a player even mentioned for a second in our conversation at all yesterday. And of course, he had a great first half and really kept him in the game in a lot of ways. It was the first half that featured a 10 nothing Florida State run for them to grab the lead back at one point. And then all of a sudden, Duke ends it on a 7 nothing spurt. And as you mentioned, I, I thought the same thing. All of a sudden, we're watching the first half, Josh, and Bates Jones checked into the game for a little bit before Joey Baker did. And, uh, yeah, the Duke, uh, Duke Blue Devil fans certainly have their opinions on uh, the Joey Baker experience. But all of a sudden, Bates Jones was checking in ahead of him. Yeah, and, you know, and I, I appreciate what Bates Jones brings to the table. I understand his, his limitations. Um, and I was fine. You know, usually what Coach K has done is this is what he did there. I believe he brought him in for Paulo right before uh, a half time, I mean, a timeout break. And so he tries to get him that extra minute or two uh, of rest. And so I'm okay with that. At that point, AJ already had two fouls so that we weren't going to be able to go to that smaller lineup and bring AJ in for him. And really, uh, at that point, there's no other option on that, on that bench but to bring in Bates Jones and let him have some time at the four. So, um, but ultimately, you know, the, that really didn't play a part, uh, in my opinion, that substitution pattern didn't really play a part in the first half. I mean, it was what it was. It was a weird game. Uh, like you said, you know, the, the Florida State historically has been, you know, so big and wide. And, and ironically, this team is big, but it's not as big as some of the other teams that we've that we've faced in Florida State. And, I mean, man, there have been years where it's like, you know, two through five have been like six, eight to seven, two, you know, and it's, it's pretty – Pretty crazy. I will say this. Kudos to Leonard Hamilton. Um, since we're talking first half, kudos to what they did for Coach K um, uh, with the standing ovation, with the uh, donation to the Emily K Center, encouraging the fans even in Tallahassee to give to the Emily K Center. I thought that was a really classy move by, honestly, we got to admit, one of the best coaches in the league. And we've taken two losses in the league so far. And honestly, between Laranega and, and Hamilton yeah. – Two of the best coaches. Yeah, Duke now fourteen and three on the season. They are four and two in the ACC. They lose last night, seventy nine seventy eight in overtime. As we said, they ended the first half on a seven nothing scoring run. It was two Paulo free throws, a Trevor Keels free throw, a Keels layup, and then Mark Williams made a pair of free throws right there in the final minute of the first half. And Duke led thirty eight thirty three. Much like the Blue Devils needed a break after the first half of play. We'll take a break here as well on Locked On Blue Devils. Let me tell you about our friends over at Built Bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar into your plan. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar, but it's even better. They're covered in 100% real chocolate. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. You're making the best decision by choosing Built Bar. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, for 15% off your order at Built.com. L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 is your promo code to use. Built Bar, a proud sponsor of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. J.J. Jackson here with Josh Cox from Duke Football Talks Section 17 podcast on Lockdown Blue Devils. Thank you very much for making us your first listen each and every day. Go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and review, if you will, 
As we're recapping, Duke's 79-78 loss to the Seminoles in overtime last night. We mentioned it, a 7-0 run at uh, half uh, before the uh, first half expired by Duke. They had a five-point lead at the break, and then all of a sudden, Florida State goes on a crazy, crazy run to start the second half. What was the most frustrating part of that run, Josh? Because there were plenty of them. Yeah, and I don't know if this is specific only to that run, uh, but there, there's a phenomenon in basketball. Uh, and Duke fans today are, are so frustrated and mad about us giving up so many offensive rebounds. Okay, and I think that can be attributed during this run, but it also can be attributed to the entire game. And we gave up a ton. I believe we gave up 16, if I'm not mistaken, offensive rebounds. But, but you don't have to be a huge basketball knowledge person to understand this. If you go for every single block, if every time someone's in the lane and a shot goes up, we all jump for that block, there, there's no possible way. It is not physically possible to then be in good defensive rebounding position. It doesn't exist. You cannot do it. And so on a night when Mark has – eight blocks or seven blocks like he had in the previous game, everything's fine. We're good with that. Even though we gave up some, if you remember the NC State game, yeah, we gave up some put-back dunks several times to their to their big, who's not skilled, who's not good, but we gave up several points down. But last night, Mark only winds up with three blocks because, as we've mentioned, the height and athleticism of Florida State only winds up with three blocks. He goes for about 20 of them, and then there's your, there's your differential. Every time he goes for a block – it's an offensive rebound for Florida State. And so I don't know the answer to that question. You don't want to stop the aggression of Mark Williams because he's a game changer. Um, but you also – you almost need to teach him how to pick his spots. And, man, we cannot completely get out of rebounding position just to try to make that highlight real block every single time someone throws a shot up. I don't know if that needs to be us crashing the defensive boards from the other four spots or what it needs to be, but that was huge during that run. It was like they would just get a shot up, and that's all they needed to do because they were going to grab that offensive rebound and get a second chance. Without a doubt, Florida State was dominant on the boards in that one, and as you said, there's always that big debate being the first or second jumper, right? And when you're a, jumping off the floor in that sense, and when you are jumping so early to get a block when you land, you're not going to be able to jump up so quickly after the fact unless your name is Zion Williamson because that guy was always a freak with the second jump ability mm -hmm. is what he was always applauded for. Uh, but uh, that's something that you've got to be able to make adjustments. And we just didn't see a lot of that last night. Offensively, as we sort of transition the discussion as well, I think it starts with the best player, Josh. And, and we've talked about it a good bit in Paulo Banchero. It took the guy over 10 minutes of action in the second half to attempt a shot. And part of that is Duke not getting the ball into his hands, but also a large portion of that is Paulo Banchero, or Banchero, excuse me, knowing you're the best player on the floor, you're going to be the first or second pick in the NBA draft. It's time to take over a basketball game. Okay, this is you're you hit the nail on the head. So let's 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 talk two portions of this. The first portion of this is Mike Krzyzewski and the Duke coaching staff are getting paid millions of dollars, millions, to put their best player in position to score the basketball within the flow of the offense. Now, this, this eerily reminds me of 2019 with the man that you mentioned named Zion Williamson 
unstoppable. Right. If he got the ball at the elbow, he was legitimately unstoppable. Yet we did not figure out a way to get him the ball at the elbow in any kind of a crunch time situation. We never got him the ball that way in the flow of the offense on a consistent basis. And we lost. We did not win the national title that year because we could not figure out how in the world to get him the ball without just ISO, right? And anybody can ISO. That's not what we're talking about. Figuring out a set, a flow of offense to get the ball to Paulo Banqueiro's hands where he can score. Now, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know where he likes the ball the most. That's part of being a coach. That's part of of doing your job as a coach. So that's number one. We tried to run horns last night. Florida State overplayed it. We couldn't get the ball. We couldn't make that pass to the high post and horns. It was almost comical. And we kept trying to do it and kept trying to do it. And at some point in time, for Paulo Bancaro's sake, we've got to do something different. And I don't know what the answer is there. That's not what I'm paid to do. I'm, I'm presenting the problem with no solution. But it is what it is. The second one is what you said. I am so stoked for the first 12 games of the season with Wendell Moore and the way that he has, you know, came on and everyone was talking about ACC player of the year, you know, this and that. But we, just like they had a player meeting and decided to change the starting lineup, you know, the coaching staff and players, I think it might be time to have a follow-up meeting and say this, this team is Paulo Bancaro's team. He is the best player on the court. There is no question about it. He is the man. We need to run the offense through him. And here's the thing about Paulo. If you run the offense through him, and this is where he's a little bit different than Zion. Paulo is such a good passer. And I think we'll get to this at the end here. Almost sometimes too passive uh, that if we did run the offense through him 100% of the time, he'll probably wind up with eight or nine assists. I mean, the, the the play that he threw the little lob alley-oop to Mark Williams there at the end of regulation yeah. was incredible. No look, lot like that was an incredible pass. So at the end of the day, it is completely irresponsible by the Duke coaching staff and honestly uh, by Paulo Bancaro for him to go over 10 minutes of gameplay and not get a shot attempt. That is a epic fail on the part of Paulo, his teammates, and his coaching staff. Some of these numbers are so deceiving when you look at it, right? When you look at the offense, because there was no flow, and I do want to spend a lot of time talking about that offense, because at the start of the second half, I mean, what in the world were we watching? It was absolutely miserable, uh, as, as Duke just could not get into anything offensively. But they finished with 27 made shots and 20 assists, right? So you're feeling good about the ball distribution. Paulo finishes with seven of those. Bankero was a monster towards the end, 20 points, 12 rebounds, seven assists. But it just took him a while to actually put shots up and attack the rim. With six minutes and 53 seconds left to play in the basketball game, Caleb Mills made a jumper to make it a nine-point game. That was the largest lead we saw at any point in the basketball game. And Florida State had all the momentum in the world. And at that point, there was no proof given how the first part of the game had played out, that Duke was going to be able to go into a scoring run to even force overtime, and yet they did, and yet they had a two-point lead in the final possession before Raquan Evans made an incredibly impressive shot at the buzzer that you've just got to applaud there. But with that all being said, Josh, the fact that in those final seven minutes, 
down by nine, in desperate need of a run, all of a sudden, Duke basketball was like, you know what, we are much better than them. Wendell Moore Jr. did start leading the team offensively. A.J. Griffin did knock down some buckets and stepped up in that regard. And uh, they gave the ball to their best player in Paula Bencaro. Yeah, and I think the, the key there um, is that we gave the, the ball to our best player in Paula Bencaro. And I, I, I go back to that. So Wendell has struggled. Um, A.J. has been up and down, right? Trevor Kills, let's be honest about Trevor Kills. I'm a big Trevor Kills fan. He struggled, man. His shooting is terrible. And, and the injury, obviously, tonight uh, played, played a role as well. And then you've got guys like Joey Baker up and down. You know, Joey can hit a three on one end, and then he'll give up a dunk on the other end. Like, that's just – that's life. So the constant and consistent thing on this team is Paulo Bencaro. That is Mr. Consistent. He is a guy that we've, we've mentioned in the past, can stuff the stat sheet, and you go, man, I don't even remember – I don't remember Paulo having 24 points, or I don't remember him grabbing nine or 12 or 13 rebounds, whatever he gets, right? So, like, so at the end of the day, that was key. The offense ignited when Paulo got involved. And uh, right before he got his first technical attempt, he did get fouled, went to the line, and was able to kind of get himself uh, prepared for that. So, during that run, man, that was beautiful basketball. I believe when they get when they did get up nine, we came down on the very next possession and hit a three uh, to cut it back to six and kind of get our feet back under us. And so, you know, Coach K also at that time, uh, we switched to that zone defense, um, which I thought was very effective. And we played that zone defense down the stretch. And, you know, that two-three zone, when you've got a guy like Mark in the middle of that zone. Right. Um, you know, the, you can really extend, and you saw Paulo and AJ or Joey, whoever was in the game at that time, really be able to extend out uh, to the three-point line because Mark, you know, had the center position so unlocked. And and actually, we rebounded fairly well in that zone. And typically, when you go zone because you don't have a, a man to check, typically it really hurts your your defensive rebounding. But I felt like we actually rebounded out of it. So that so during that stretch, man, I think it was the defense, you know, really um, that ignited us. And then, you know, of course, uh, talent is going to prevail, and we put the ball in the basket. You're exactly right. It was 59-50, and then Wendell Moore Jr. made a three-point bucket to cut the lead back to six, and the offense uh, started to rock and roll from there. Wendell Moore Jr. did also finish three for three from the three-point line. And we mentioned Wendell Moore Jr., the ACC player of the year run that he had at the beginning there, it does feel like he also has some moments where, you know, he could be a little bit more passive. And when we've seen him grow so much, uh, there are just spurts where the Stuke basketball team gets, isn't trigger happy, right? And and I'm thinking about Joey Baker, who due to some foul trouble, due to Trevor Keels being injured, and again, it's a lower leg injury for Trevor Keels. I'm hoping as we get closer to Syracuse on Saturday, we'll learn the extent of that and what it possibly means moving forward for Duke and whether or not Keels will be able to play. Joey Baker is out there to space the floor, and there were moments with open looks that Joey didn't shoot and would then just try to pass the ball off to someone else. I don't know what happened. I don't know if all of a sudden Joey Baker is – so afraid to shoot and miss and a worry that he's going to be taken off the floor. But it's one of those moments, Josh, where it's like, okay, you're there to shoot. We know you can do that. So shoot the ball when you're open. Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, uh, it's, I follow the Duncan Robinson podcast. He talks about when he got to Miami, he didn't even know if he was gonna have a roster spot. And he remembers the first practice that the ball got swung to him and he was open, but he made that extra pass to Jimmy Butler 
And Butler went and scored, and then Butler called him over and went completely nuts on him and basically said, they're not bringing you here to pass me the ball. They're bringing you here to shoot the ball. And, man, so this is where I think a guy like John Shire, more of a player's – maybe more of like a player's coach. Um, I really wish he could speak more into this, and I'm not sure if he gets the opportunity to yet. He will next year for sure. Uh, but I could see Shire being the guy that brings a guy like Baker over to the side and says, listen, if you ever pass up an open three again, I'm taking you out of the game because you don't help us if you're not right. shooting the ball. And so, and once again, Duke fans can have their opinions on Joey Baker. And I, I think Duke fans need to relax on Joey Baker. He's shooting 40% from the three-point line. We've been waiting for him to do this. Really He's impressive. actually doing yeah. it this year. So, like, every, and honestly, he hustles. He does make some of those – uh, non-stat plays that you don't see in the stat right. line. Um, you know, he will. Now, in the same vein, he has his limitations. We all know what they are. Um, but he played 19 minutes last night. And that was, remember, as we said earlier, that's with Bates Jones playing before him. He still got those 19 minutes in. And, uh, and and you know, I'm happy for Joey anytime something goes his way. Because uh, it seems like <laughs> in his Duke career, it just hasn't gone his way. Um, I do want to point out um, the fact that Joey keeps – you don't see him struggle. Like, he's not a head case. You know, Grayson went through some of those yeah. mental health kind of issues when he was here. I do want to point out that Joey, even through the ups and downs in his career, I mean, he's, he seems to be always on top side. He keeps his head. He's a great teammate. And so I think Joey needs to be applauded for that. Let's take a break. This is Locked On Blue Devils, J.J. Jackson here, and I want to let you know this is it. It's the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software to see the full picture? You've got to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budgeting, and more, NetSuite is everything that you need to grow all in one place. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after they upgraded to NetSuite. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying ahead of your competition. What you need to do right now is go to netsuite.com slash locked, L-O-C-K-E-D. Again, netsuite.com slash locked for the special one-of-a-kind financing offer on the number one financial system for growing businesses. Back here on Lockdown Blue Devils, J.J. Jackson hanging out with Josh Cox from Duke Football Talks Section 17 Podcast. Follow them on Twitter at DukeFBTalk. Tons of football news. The coaching staff is uh, nearly complete for Mike Elko, which we'll get into at another day uh, when we have a little bit more time. Also, uh, Josh and I love to let you know what's been going on with the latest Duke in the NFL series and the regular season has come to a close. We're moving into divisional round weekend uh, at the NFL level. So that means I just I, I keep that in my back pocket. So Josh Cox is forced to come back on the show with me at a later date. That's why I do it. Hey, we're, I'm definitely on for that. I was actually thinking this morning about that Duke in the NFL. We still have several guys, uh, you know, still rolling. And, uh, and so we'll probably let us see it play out and then have a, a really cool episode where we talk about there were some very good wins this year for Duke football in the NFL. So for sure, for uh, th- sure. that'll be good. But well, let's crown uh, a Super Bowl champion, and then we'll get back to that way. So exactly. Uh, all right. So let's finish up our Florida State discussion, and then uh, wrap up today on this Wednesday edition of Locked On Blue Devils. Again, thank you for making us your first listen each and every day. 
What about Jeremy Roach? He's the guy that all of a sudden is taken out of the starting lineup. I mentioned a little bit earlier, he did finish with six assists offensively. Uh, tell me about number three last night, Josh. All right, so I am quick to criticize Jeremy Roach. In fact, um, earlier this season, and, and and for good reason. I mean, he gets burnt on the defensive end back door at least at least two or three times a game. Uh, at the beginning of the season, he he would get in the lane and he would throw up crazy wild shots, and he would never look for the open man. And uh, we've seen that. We've seen both of those things starting to correct. And last night, I felt like Jeremy Roach played the best game that he's played all season. Um, he only scored six points, um, but he played a really good game. To this point, we talked about the offensive struggles and kind of the odd game that Duke played because of the way Florida State defends. I actually felt in the second half most secure when Jeremy was bringing the ball to the court and initiating the offense. Um, so that's number one. The second thing Let's just let's just talk about it. I am not a Duke fan that blames the officiating. Okay, I'm not. But let's say this: from the beginning of that tip off until the final buzzer sounded, it seemed as if every 50-50 ball, every every tip out of bounds, every single one of them went Florida State's way. And I'm not yeah. saying that they were right or wrong. It could have legitimately been that. But it seemed like every time two guys went for a rebound and the ball happened to bounce out, it was always Florida State ball. It didn't matter what. And the most obvious one was in overtime. I felt like Jeremy moved his feet, got in front of this man, and took a, a charge on the perimeter as textbook as you take a charge on the perimeter, and it got called a block. And I'll just – the only thing I will say, if that play happened on the other end with us on offense and them on defense, my opinion in that atmosphere, that is a charge 10 times out of 10. So kudos to Jeremy. I felt like, man, he, he played an incredible game last night. Kept his head, uh, and made a made a beautiful pass. He drove in the lane, kicked it out for AJ for three. I specifically remember that play uh, because Jeremy would not have made that play earlier on in the season. And so I felt like Jeremy played a, a, a incredibly good game, and I was happy for him. Let's talk about it even further because I do want to get into officiating a little bit. Uh, that is always something that's brought up with Duke basketball. Look, officiating is brought up with Alabama football all the time. When you are truly elite. People are going to have their opinions one way or the other, and people want to count the number of flags called against a Nick Saban coach team, and you're going to look at that for Mike Krzyzewski. During the NC State game on Saturday, Josh, and I'm speaking to our listeners here as well, I don't know if people caught this, but there was a moment in the game in the second half when Duke's going on a crazy run. They're leading by 19, and as a broadcaster, I've been there before as a play-by-play. Okay, what can we talk about here? Let's find something. Duke has shot and made more 80-some-odd more free throws than opponents have attempted this season. They clearly are a team that has gotten the benefit of the whistle. A lot of that is play style. I'm sure a lot of that is the fact that, look, this is Duke. These guys are really talented. They're going to the next level. Let's give them credit. For last night, though, we could we talked about not getting into sets offensively. The lack of aggression also resulted in a very limited amount of free throw attempts. Yeah. And you're right. Our style of play this year has really, um, I believe fed into that. I mean, you, when Paulo is Paulo, he cannot be stopped. The only thing you can do is Fallon. Right. So, so he's getting in the paint when he's playing well. Um, Wendell, when, when Wendell was being peak Wendell earlier this season, uh, half of that was, you know, he would take those 
dribble handoffs and he would head straight downhill to the basket and he was either going to score or they were going to have to foul him. And so I do see that. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, you see the, the stuff on, on social media a lot, you know, Duke gets all the calls uh, and stuff like that. And, and, and here's the thing. I'm not going to say, listen, I've been to Cameron more times than I can remember. And more times than I can remember, there have been 50, 50 calls that we get at Cameron that I'm not sure. So sure we get in Tallahassee, right? I, I'm not going to be so naive to think that the the uh, the fan uh, noise level and the uh, just the momentum that the fan base can bring does not sometimes influence a call, right? These are fallible refs; they're not perfect. Um, but at the end of the day, um, as a referee, I've never obviously refereed a, a college basketball game. Likewise, kind of trying, trying to understand their position. A couple of things that I think every fan should want. Let's call the game the same way in the the uh, end of the second half as we are the middle of the first half, right? Let's not let's not say, well, that that was let go in the first half, but now we're calling it, or vice versa. I think consistency is key there. And then uh, I I am all for uh, coming together and getting the call right, but not at the expense of the flow of the game. And so as the replay gets into effect there last night, we had two or three stoppages of like five plus minutes because the officials were trying to fix something, I believe, with the clock and there was other things going on. So at the end of the day, all of this plays into it. I mean, we can act like it doesn't, but like if you've played sports growing up at all and you're on you're on a, a momentum swing and, and you just hit a couple of threes and you've cut that nine-point lead down to two, and then all of a sudden we take a five- to six-minute break to try to fix a clock issue or to look at something, that does play into it. And so, I don't know. I would love to see referees try to keep the game flow as good as possible and then be as consistent as possible. Now, on the other end, I do think when you get under like 10 seconds left to play, you know, I'm also not a big fan of like a tic-tac foul, you know, with under 10 seconds left, like let the guys play it out. So I think there's some give and take there. But ultimately, at the end of the day, last night was for sure that Florida State crowd played into it. Every 50-50 ball went their way. Every 50-50 call went their way, including the most important one was that Jeremy Rich. If I mean, I believe we were up to if that if that is called a charge, it's our ball up to with like under a minute left in overtime. Uh, the call goes the opposite way. They hit the two free throws, and now we're in the fight. Yep. Yep. No, you're exactly right. And Duke ultimately loses 79-78. Florida State, by the way, has now won 13 consecutive games that have gone to overtime. That is a Division One record. Unbelievable. And, of course, uh, storming the floor after a win like that. Super exciting times to Tallahassee at the expense of, of our Duke Blue Devils. All right, Trevor Keels on the way out. Josh, what could this mean for Duke basketball moving forward? Again, left the game with an injury, did not come back, got his foot, leg, you know, just a weird, freaky play kind of caught back underneath him. Man, it was scary, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I, uh, when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, that's an ankle. And then I'm like, no, that's too high for an ankle. And then I'm like, but it's not high enough for a knee. And so I'm thinking, the only thing left is that he broke his leg. Right. Like that's the only thing I was thinking. Like he had to have just broken his leg, and um, to see him get up and you could see him as he as he finally walked and he started to put a little pressure on it. Um, you know, obviously there's nothing I don't think structural there. I don't think the 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 Duke staff would let him run in that hallway in the back there if there was any thought or danger that it was structural. 
Um, so at this point, I, I'm hopeful that it's going to be sore for a couple of days and that he's back. I, if Because like I said, if it was anything more than that, Fonseca is not letting him out of that locker room. Right. He's not jogging in that hallway. So I think we have to look at that in a positive way before about 10 minutes there, before we saw that clip of him jogging, um, man, I thought he was done for the year. And, and, um, and so I was really pleased um, to see him up and walking around and then getting back on the bench there, obviously, um, and supporting his teammates. We, we can't, we can't leave without talking about two plays. All right. Are you cool with this? Yeah. I'm Go taking ahead. over your spot right here. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> All right, we play his own defense the entire second half. Yeah. 13, 14 seconds left. Uh, we are uh, up two, and we switch to man-to-man. Now, I'm on a group text with some Duke friends of mine, uh, actually my Section 17 podcast guys, and uh, during that timeout, I said we need to switch to man because we can't give up the open three. Yep. So that's what I said in my group text. Before, before, we, before I knew what we did, I said we need to switch back to man for this possession just so we don't give up the three because now they had missed, they had missed most of them, but in that two, three zone, if you move the ball enough, you're going to get an open three. And so that's my thought. Like, man, they're going to go for the win here. Like they're going to have, they're going to move the ball around. They're going to get a wide of a shot. And anyway, so I was for that. So for the record, I'm for that. Now a lot of Duke fans are chirping this morning on Twitter. Can't believe we played that zone for seven, eight minutes or whatever, shut them down. And then we switched on the last possession. I get it. I understand why. We I think it. it's the smartest thing to do. I, I, I am a hundred percent behind it. And uh, honestly, it's just noise for the folks that are trying to say, yeah. what in the world are you doing there? Because as you mentioned, this is where we also, as I did earlier, credit the shot that Raekwon Evans oh, made for Florida state to even force overtime. Unbel- You've got Paula Bancaro right on your hip. All right. Yep. The first or second pick in the draft at six foot 10 and Mark Williams coming over help side tried to pin it against the glass and you're yep. still able to go all the way up and make it. And then going into a timeout when Florida state is trying to script up a play, knowing it's against zone defense, it's brilliant forward thinking to say, no, we're not going to go back out there in zone. Let's go play man to man. 100% yep. the right decision. And you just got to credit Florida state. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, Paulo did not get blown by. I've seen that take a little bit on, on social media. No, Paulo was right on his hip. Paulo went for the block. Mark went for the block. And honestly, it reminded me a little – I mean, it was different, but it reminded me a little bit of Charlie Moore at the end of Miami, of the Miami game. Yeah. he if you, if you say Evans has to take that shot against those two guys ten times, I say he's less than 50% on that make. I mean, the trajectory of that ball, he threw that thing up, and it Way went – Way less than 50%, yeah. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, credit to Paulo for playing – he got switched on him for playing solid D – and we did everything we could there. The second play is obviously at the end of the, the overtime. Uh, there's just a few seconds left. There's nine seconds, maybe more, maybe a little bit more than that uh, left after that free throw. If you go back and watch it, you can see uh, Paulo inbound the ball to Wendell. And Wendell kind of looks back at Paulo, and Paulo tells him to go up the court. My thought, and obviously they've not been asked about this, and I, and I, don't, I don't know if they would even say it. I felt like Paulo thought, we're definitely going to be calling a timeout. So just get the ball up to half court and call the timeout. So that's what I think. I think I'm trying to give Paulo the benefit of the doubt here that he said, get it up to half court because we're calling a timeout. When I get it to half court and Kay's like, no, let's go. Right. And, and so that's when Wendell, you know, 
takes it himself. Chad Likens on Twitter has a has a still photo of like an easy lob. If Wendell has his head up when he's when he's driving to the lane, Mark's got his guy pinned. Literally throw it up there and Mark dunks it for the win. Or secondarily, AJ's in the corner and there's not anyone. 10 feet from him. I've seen that photo uh, so, for sure. So there, yeah, there's there's a couple of things there. But all that to say, coming back to that play, this, as I mentioned earlier, is Paulo Bancaro's team. And if we have another situation where we have the ball with less than 10 seconds left and it's our final shot, the ball must be in his hands. I don't care that he's a freshman and Wendell's a junior. This isn't, we do not need to do 1999 over again, where we give the ball to Trajan Langdon. When we have Elton Brand, the national player of the year, sealed in the post. No, we have to learn from our mistakes, right? So yep. uh, Wendell did the same thing in the Miami game. He goes down and, and, and chunks that three, um, you know, at the, at, towards the, at the very end of the game there. The ball needs to be in Paulo's hands. And as I've mentioned, Paulo is unselfish enough and maybe sometimes too unselfish. He is not going to just hawk that ball and put up a bad shot. If there's an open man, Paulo's going to find him. He threw the lob to Mark Williams at the end of regulation. Who's to say he wouldn't have done it on that last possession? Absolutely. And so at the end of the day, I feel like we had a timeout left. We we Roy Williams that game. We left a timeout on the table. We should have called the timeout, set up a play. And at the end of the day, we didn't. And it was it was nasty. It was sloppy. I mean, the the block shot from from Butler. Then the ball gets pushed into the backcourt and it's over. Um, and so I felt like that play, it, it needs to be discussed. It needs to be talked about because if we're not going to call a timeout, then that ball's got to be in Paulo's hands. And and I once again, I'm trying to not say anything negative about Paulo here. I'm, I'm going to take it that he thought there was going to be a timeout call. Right. Which is why he didn't go demand the ball. All right. All right. That's about going to wrap it up for Locked On Blue Devils here today with Josh Cox from Duke Football Talks Section 17 podcast. Tough loss last night for Duke, but now they bounce back. They've got Clemson uh, and Syracuse. Syracuse will be first, and then Clemson right after that on Tuesday, both home games for Duke. You feel pretty good about those matchups to get Duke back into winning ways, possibly. we got to figure out the Trevor Keel situation, obviously, but uh, beyond that. For sure. I mean, you, you have Syracuse, and obviously that zone defense is going to be uh, – we just got to figure that out. I think I think Paulo and or Wendell uh, getting the ball at the high post is a very good thing. Both of those guys are, are great passers. Um, and then I do think this game could be um, a game, you know, where Joey, you know, finds his little niche here and gets hot. Or even, you know, let me just throw this out there. We saw him in this past game. Maybe this is a game where we spread the floor and, and we put Bates in the corner. And we know this. If Bates gets the ball in the corner and he's got two feet of space, that shot's going up. And, man, it's it's pretty. It's funny. It does. Yeah, 100%. So I, I, I like to see that. You know, obviously Syracuse is struggling, uh, not not a great team this year, so we should get that win. And then Clemson the same way. But all that to say that that zone does – every time you go into a Syracuse game, the zone does give you a little bit of pause. Uh, and hopefully between today and Saturday – uh, as we prepare for it, you know, we're ready for it. Duke's next two opponents, Clemson and Syracuse, played one another last night as well. It was a 13-point win for Clemson. And then, of course, uh, after Syracuse, after Clemson, Duke on Saturday, February 5th, goes to Chapel Hill, Coach K's final trip to the Dean Dome. It's going to be here before we know it, which is super exciting uh, that we're getting to that point of the season. And last thing, good news for Duke fans because you've got that sour taste over the Miami game, and you won't see the Hurricanes again unless you were to match up in the ACC tournament 
But Josh, on Saturday, February 19th, another ESPN game, one of their primetime Saturday Sonic blockbuster games, I'm sure, Florida State comes back to Cameron Indoor Stadium. Duke will have an opportunity to avenge their loss last night. They will. And you know where I thought you were heading when you started talking about Miami was that 28-point drubbing uh, last night in Coral Gables. Could have they, also they, gone that way, yes. And they gave to those Tar Heels. Um, but, but yes, I, this the revenge game for Florida State uh, is going to be fun. And, and may, I, may I say this? Miami needs more respect nationally. Right. I mean, I'm seeing like Lenardi had him as like a 10 seed and like just ridiculous stuff. Listen, Miami is legit. They're they're they are at the top of the ACC right now and they deserve it. And like we need to we need to just come to grips with the fact that Laranega has put together a team that's going to finish possibly at the top of the league or at least in the top two. Uh, in the ACC this year. And so kudos it's only going to help Duke if they start to get respect nationally. Again, Duke's the only team ranked in the top 25. Josh, you're the best. I'll talk to you soon, man. All right, man. Have a good one. That is Josh Cox from Duke Football Talk Section 17 Podcast. Joining us here today on Lockdown Blue Devils. Follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils. Coming up on tomorrow's show, I've got Duke Blogger. That's right. Our friend Brian Horace back on the program to talk all things Duke as we get set for the game versus Syracuse. For Josh Cox, I'm JJ Jackson. As always, go Duke. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you, and Good day. <laughs>